Hello and welcome back to the Optimizing Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Marty Kendall. On this show, we take an engineering approach and speak to the experts about the insights into weight loss, fasting and nutrition, as well as real life people about their journey of nutritional optimization. Good morning, Maddie Lansdowne. How you going, mate? Good, Marty. How are you? Yeah, good. Great to hear uh, another Aussie voice on the podcast radio and uh, a smooth, silky voice. And yeah, I've been enjoying your how, <laughs> how to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. And yeah, thanks for doing that. It's great work. Yeah, I felt the same when I first found you too. It was like, oh, somebody on home soil. <laughs> <laughs> Local. Huzzah. So Maddie's down in Melbourne. I'm up in Brisbane. And um, Mike from the uh, Quit sugar summit introduced us and said you guys should connect and have a chat so we had a chat and said why not do a podcast and um the one thing you when i said hey what are you really passionate about you said you know how to uh the psychology the intersection of diet and change and we we know what to do all the time but so often we actually don't do it long enough to actually get long-term results so i just wanted to, to wrap on that and get your wisdom and um but maybe first a bit of a backstory of how did you go from being a a scientist to a you know online health guru blogger podcaster <laughs> you know why did you why did you leave that to go to this and why are you so passionate about it all yeah that's a that's a good question i went on a bit of a journey i think a lot of people that uh end up on this side of the tracks either has a loved one that suffered as a result of the lack of sufficient solutions in a western medical se setting or they themselves mm. went through that experience and mm, so definitely. like a lot of a lot of naturopaths nutritionists people like that often ended up getting that as a second qualification to solve their mm. own own problems um and and i guess in some way that was kind of your journey right with your mm. family right and so for me it was a little different i was very fortunate with my health i uh, grew up super healthy super active um, had a relatively good understanding of food grew up, grew up in the country mum and dad have always had fruit trees and vegetables and cool. every, like it was my birthday recently and the, the message from what mum was like how many carrots and eggs do you want <laughs> <laughs> so i was That's pretty great. lucky in that in that sense but just um, what i wanted for my birthday mum thank you <laughs> no, no socks no no undies you get carrots and eggs no, I'm super grateful. If you fill my fridge, the love is coming. <laughs> that's great. That, that's how we love in our family. We just keep filling the fridge and the sun keeps eating. <laughs> totally. But, um, but yeah, so I grew up in the country, moved to the city and um, went to uni, did all that jazz and became a scientist and then eventually ended up in uh, cancer therapy. So I was in the cancer hospital for the last seven years or most of the last seven years. And the, the trigger for me that kind of set me off down this path was <clears throat> just realizing that the World Health Organization say on their website that uh, 90, 90 to 95% of cancers are caused by diet and lifestyle. Mm. And I didn't meet a single doctor, attend a single meeting or talk to a single patient that had ever considered diet or lifestyle as a, as a, as a means to the solution. It might That's be a crazy. causative factor, but nobody thought about it, um, you know, sort of going back down the line. So uh, much so time and money is spent in treating the symptom and trying to recover from that point, but so little is even, yeah. even when you've got cancer, how do we solve it? Yeah, With absolutely. nutrition and what we eat and what we do. 
Yeah, no, you bang on, you bang on. And so for me, I just kind of went down the rabbit hole. It took me a few years because I started off as a typical Western medical scientist, like ah, nutritionists and naturopaths, they're all hippies, <laughs> tree <people>. huggers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I'm like their biggest advocate. <laughs> <laughs> and you went and got your own qualifications. You're just finishing your master's in nutrition, was it? Yeah, yeah. So I did a few certifications and went back to uni and doing clinical clinical nutrition and stuff like that. And so I actually did an honors way back when in um, nutritional epigenetics and worked for a nutritional wow. epigenetics company uh, for a year, which was pretty cool. So that really piqued my interest in the beginning. And cancer was just kind of the next job that happened. Mm. But um, but yeah, so yeah, spent plenty of time with my head in books. Uh, but the thing that I sort of realized on the journey was that you know, most people, as you sort of touched on in the beginning, most people know what they need to do when it comes to their diet um, and most people don't do it. And that's mm. that's the bit. That's the yeah. bit that I think that needs the most work. And so, but interesting, it's kind of different in a cl uh, sort of clinical setting for chronic disease, especially with cancer, because a lot of people um, get these diagnoses um, and you could even set Put a debate up for that it should be illegal to give some of these diagnoses given mm. that people surrender they emotionally spiritually physically surrender mm. to death um and and so it's wow. a very different psychology to the psychology of oh i need to lose 20 kilos as opposed to you know a, a, a nutritional change might change you know the outcome of a disease mm. situation diabetes cancer alzheimer's um, and we're starting to see this a lot but we also know that pharmaceutical regulation is extremely rigid as the world mm. is coming to learn <laughs> right now in the mm. chapter we're in mm. um, and so it's a very interesting space and so for that reason I work primarily with people sort of before they get to that and then preventative mm. measures because if we know that obesity um, and being overweight is the biggest precursor to cancer Alzheimer's, mm. diabetes. Um, so it's it's an imperative part. Or that process, figuring out that process, is imperative to solving the solution. And I think mm. um, turning around and looking from where we came from, rather than the solution being, you know, something we haven't discovered yet, yeah. um, is you know a lot of the stuff's back there where we started. <laughs> yeah, I, I think when we talked last time, you said you every week you did a, a you know a recap of why people died in the cancer hospital and all of a sudden you realized that everybody was dying from the cancer therapy and medication and went, wow, we're not really helping people. We've got to help people further back down the chain. And like yeah. you said, um, I did a pretty deep dive into cancer and nutrition and, you know, just obesity is, is the number one issue being, you know, having too much stored energy that promotes excess growth is the yeah probably the biggest factor that you have to manage and, and doing that from any stage in life is, is a really important point. And even when you get cancer to keep on moving forward and dialing your diet, you can dial in your diet a little bit more for cancer and manage particular nutrients a little bit more. Um, but yeah, just being healthy and uh, yeah, managing your weight is really important for everything. Yeah. So yeah, why aren't we solving that? Why aren't we putting our energy into that? Probably because there's not as much finance in that area but uh you know if you really want to lead with your heart and have a passion for something that's going to make a legitimate change that's the more interesting space to be in 
Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think as well, um, the Western medical model has its relevant applications and helps people in every area of disease. Mm. However, it caters to the dopamine addicted people that we are in today's society, mm. which is, um, you know, social media. We were talking before about social <laughs> media and its and its addictiveness. And so yeah. we're, we're di- addicted to this instant gratification, this instant need for a solution. And so when you are 40, 50 kilos overweight and you're staring down the barrel of a diagnosis of five different things and a doctor says, oh, quick, let's go, chemo, bang. Like it's, it yep. caters to that inner mm-hmm. like, you know, dopamine addict that's like, yes, solution, let's go. When yeah, it's yeah. like, actually, we can solve this long-term, improve your life, get your sex life back, do all of these things, but it's going to take us five years of yeah. improving your diet or whatever it might, that's, that's not appealing. So the, the yeah. pill for an ill sells really well in the modern yeah. world. So much more lucrative to sell the pill totally. for the ill, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So psychology of change, dopamine. Um, yeah. Tell us about dopamine and why it's critical to the process. And you know, people say food is addictive, but you know, I'm a little bit triggered by that because, you know, some foods have addictive behaviors and properties, but, you know, we need food. Um, we get dopamine hit for you know, helping a lady cross the road and, and doing a great assignment or making a great article or we get dopamine to motivate us to do good things in the world. Where does dopamine come off the rails and, and lead us to this addictive cycle that is um, downward and destructive? Well, as you're aware, we need dopamine to exist. Like the human species would not have made it this far without that reward part of the brain that we you know we get from that cycle of feeding and having sex and procreating mm. the species um, and I think the issue is that we've just slowly hacked the system to realize oh this feels good this feels good this feels good to the point that now we're chasing it on a literally 10 second basis like people mm. are, you know you pick your phone up and you go Facebook Instagram Snapchat and then you're like you're not even conscious. You kind of gone into this trance, and you're like, "What am I doing?" Like <laughs> twelve hours later, <laughs> yeah. and, and and the like. Social media's performance metric is how much time can we keep you looking at the screen? And you know, yeah. they're bragging that people are on average an hour on social media a day, and some people are up to twelve hours just constantly with their social media feed, and it, it just it's hard to escape that. And, and similarly with food. The food is designed to be inescapable once you mm. you, you know you get comfort from those foods. They just re- self reinforce to the point that you really can't stop eating them. So they feel addictive. Yeah, no, you're right. And as and the other factor is too. And I had a psychologist on my podcast who was a part of um, creating the Skittles color wrapping, wow. like um, in the late '80s, I think. Um, and he he was super highly paid. Like he was their go-to guy because he was the one that kind of brought to the. The, that sugar company, whoever it was, the the idea that if we um, create this like a bundle of fruit, it will speak <laughs> to that inner evolutionary brain. Yep. And so there's so many layers that are our psychology is manipulated, mm. um, whether it be by tech giants uh, knowing that every little ping on our phone or every little number, our, our brain's like, oh, I want to check that. I want to clear these. I want to, mm. you know, I want to see what's going on there. And so it's the same with food. It's like these, pa- the packaging is designed to manipulate our psychology and hijack mm. these already, you know, sort of deep, deeply rooted mechanisms that have been mm. around since the dawn of time, which primarily function as a need just to survive as a human in the wild, you know, to yeah. hunt, 
to have sex, to um, to eat, to all all these kinds of things. But yeah, in the modern world, we're just on such we're sort of addicted, right? We're, it's like dopamine addiction. We're addicted to our own supply, uh, which in some ways is is a cool thing because it's like oh, if I can. If I can be addicted to something that's in my own body, maybe I can send it the other way and get addicted to a different experience. And that's mm. kind of that's the, the logic that I try and work with with uh, people that I work with is that there's multiple solutions to mm. that to that dopamine highway. We've just we're just using one at the minute. And so mm. there's other, like you said, there's other ways to get that fix. And so I've got a thing that I use called the routine swap out. So once we dissect yep. the anatomy of uh, our habits. Um, the routine's the bit in the middle and a fad diet will attend, essentially tell you, pretend like triggers don't happen. Just just use willpower and try really hard. And, yeah. if, and if a trigger happens, well, you failed. Try harder. And, and you're a yeah. failure. It's not the program. <laughs> totally. So I'm, I'm really big on being like, triggers are happening the kids are still gonna have stuff go on work's gonna have stuff there's gonna be financial stuff partner stuff um so it's about learning what the triggers are understanding what your go-to default routine is and Mm. the reward that your brain seeks from that experience and then and then once we've observed that and we've got it down we know what happens we can then pattern interrupt and the routine bit in the middle is the bit we start swapping out for different dopamine experiences yeah that's really powerful on the dopamine like you you don't want to turn off dopamine like you can go and load a (laughs) naltrexone which down regulates your dopamine response but those people just they lose the will for food yeah they lose weight they lose the will for amphetamines and they get off the drugs but they also lose the will to live right largely yeah nothing's fun nothing's enjoyable so you need to recreate what you get pleasure from in a way and and like you said redirect that and pattern interrupt it and and back to the skittles i mean that's really fascinating that really the the food manufacturers have hijacked our dopamine response to the colors and flavors that they've injected in there that are completely unnatural really just replicate actual nutrients in food that your body is seeking out your lizard brain is saying i need those nutrients and that red and blue flavor it must contain amazing nutrients because I've never seen anything quite like that before. It looks like a blueberry, yeah. it looks like a strawberry, but no, it's just, there's no nutrients. It's just energy with no actual nutrients. It's just got the flavor to mimic everything a whole lot cheaper. Yeah. And in a way that overdrives the dopamine senses that's really hard to unwind and get off. So, yeah, we're all faced with this amazing world of overwhelm of dopamine. So, yeah, tell us more about how how you can get off that addictive dopamine cycle to actually inject it into your health and potentially get bigger dopamine rewards and and bigger sense of self-worth and satisfaction by by getting off the the dopamine superhighway, as you called it. Yeah. Well, I guess guess it's like anything, you know, going... There's usually two types of people. Your moderation, she'll be right, or the all-in, all-out kind of people. Um, And the interesting thing is... Both groups, in my experience, have the same outcome. The all-in, all-out people think they're really good at just like killing it at stuff, but as soon as they're done, they're done. They're they're completely Mm. out. Whereas the moderation people kind of dip in and out, in and out, and the outcome for both is usually the same. So we have to realize that we have to kind of go back to baseline and like what do all humans, you know, how do all humans work in in the long run? And in my experience, Mm. irrelevant of your personality, small changes done really well over long periods of time are the things that make long-term change. Mm. 
and it doesn't matter how small it is. It, it the smaller the better usually. Mm. Um, so it's the same. It's like going to the gym. Irrelevant of the personality you are, you don't walk in and you you know bench press two hundred kilos, right? Yep. <laughs> Um, so it's the same here. So with dopamine, so we get dopamine from our phone, we get dopamine from food, we get dopamine from, uh, you know, interacting with humans, we have to identify which things in our environment are not helping our health, uh, mm. and then start scaling it back, not complete mm. elimination, because in a week's time, we'll bounce back and we'll just forget mm. we even tried. Um, so if it's your phone, for instance, you might uh, turn it off 10 minutes before bed for a week, and then you might go 20 minutes for the next week. And then 30 minutes. And yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's unsexy to do it this slowly over months and months and months. <laughs> but that's the only way we're going to get there is to yeah. train the brain, um, you know, just same as the gym uh, analogy. It's like you only pick up something that you can struggle with enough to still get through the set, right? Mm. You don't pick up something that's basically you can't move because there's no point to doing it. Um, mm. And so, and, and it might be the same thing in the morning. So we're talking before, for me, um, I've gotten myself to the point now where I don't turn my phone on unless I need to promote the podcast um, until midday. So, mm. um, and I know that just from self-learning that for me, if I turn that phone on sooner, I've hijacked my dopamine and my productivity for the day is out. And mm. it's the same with food. If we get up and have cereals as you know, for mm. breakfast or these hyper palatable sugar, refined carbs, <coughs> nutrient lacking foods, we're setting off that dopamine in conjunction with the insulin as well and mm. a lack of nutrition and satiation. And so that spirals mm. for the rest of the day as well. Yeah, getting that first meal, that you know, protein nutrient centric mm -hmm. first meal, whenever that is, yeah. whether you call it breakfast or lunch or you know, first meal of the day, that's yeah. incredibly important to uh, not be on that blood sugar roller coaster and then you're craving when you dip again. And yeah, totally, it's definitely in our challenges, definitely a, a massively key point. Yeah, I, I also love the way you talk about tiny changes, tiny habits. I'm a massive fan of BJ Fogg and his work, and mm -hmm. he's super popular in. You know, just do one push-up, floss one tooth, go to the gym and yeah. go home again. Don't lift anything. Just start the habit. And once you can do that reliably, successfully, you add a little bit more. So people, so many people just go all out and say, you know, I need to lose this weight overnight. I've got a diagnosis of diabetes or cancer or yeah. you know, I've got a wedding coming up and I'm going to blitz it. But the willpower is, like you say, limited. And eventually, whether it's due to mental fatigue or... Um, eventually their, their body just craves for nutrients and energy and they've de been depriving it so much that it, your lizard brain just rebels. Totally. And it gets to the point where you, you can't exert enough willpower to not keep, not go back. Well, and I think as well when you peel the onion, sort of on the surface level, and men aren't particularly good at peeling the emotional onion in my <laughs> experience, but on the surface, it's like willpower is like this masculine, strong kind of energy. Same for women. It's like, um, grit your teeth and get through it. Um, and then when that fails, it's like, ah, oh, I was just too weak. And mm. usually what I find if you peel the layer, the next layer off, is that like willpower is, runs out based on our energy mm. levels, based on how much we've slept that day, based on mm. the diet we've had that day. But so we, so we need to use a fuel source for our capabilities that is not finite, basically. And the one that is not finite is self-respect. Um, wow. And so... 
And so we have to disconnect from a finite resource and attach ourselves to an infinite resource because self-love and self-respect is something that never runs out as long as you establish it appropriately. Mm -hmm. And so what I find with most people and um, I guess with nutrition and health is I I try and help people move the big rocks. A lot of people sort Mm -hmm. of... DM me on social media and say, which supplement, this supplement or this supplement? And it's like, no, we need to move the big rocks before we look at the grains of sand. And what I find is that the issue with moving the big rocks has nothing to do with knowledge. If information was the transformational resource, we would all be perfect specimens (laughs) because Google exists. And it often comes back to self-respect and and self-sabotage is, you know, and all these types of things. So learning how to give yourself permission, uh, respect yourself. And once you learn what I was talking about before, the anatomy of your habits, you Mm. can then see those habits unfold and see a fork in the road. And it's like, this one goes to the old me where I repeat the past or mm. this one is the one where I self-respect and I build a newer me. Um, and you can make that choice consciously. It takes a while. You don't sort of build that skill overnight. You've got to build the self-observation, the non-judgmental skill before you can put yourself in a position to be able to make the right choice to honor the new you. But mm. self-respect is something that needs to be cultivated in order to make healthy change. Yeah, yeah. Um and people come in with big goals and they say, I want to do this, this, and this. But really we find that getting your why, working out why you want to do it, why you want to make the change, yeah. you know, fundamentally what is it? And that definitely comes back to self-respect and self-love and mm. I'm worth this and I can do it and I'm in a community of people well, who will support you to, to keep on moving forward. So that, that's super powerful. So do yeah. you have a community environment that you run your challenges in and, and help people through? Yeah, so I have sort of two setups. I got the group option and the one-on-one and the one-on-one, it's just personality dependent. Some Mm. people prefer the group environment um, and I find it's really good because people are talking to people that are going through the same experiences Mm. and challenges Um, and then I also do one-on-one for the people that have got some really heavy stuff to work through um, that sort of want that level of privacy. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely really important to it's more expensive and labor intensive to help people one-on-one but it's often even better to do it in a group format where people can see Mm. other people on the journey and yet they're just a little bit more down the road from them and they learn from their journey and their struggles and their questions and think oh i was thinking that and you asked it and you can help me with this and yeah yeah, now i get that all the time you would in yours as well like yeah people just helping each other yeah, yeah. Other people help each other so much more than people who are way down the track and have been doing it forever because they never ask the questions that the newbies ask. So yeah. just having everybody together and with a few people who have done it before is just a really powerful approach. So you're also passionate about fasting and is uh, mm-hmm. y- is more fasting better? And uh, how, do you, how do you approach fasting? What's your niche on fasting? Yeah, well, I guess... The thing went coming out of the cancer hospital and learning about disease, one of the first things I realized was or learnt years ago was like we're just putting too much in too frequently. And mm. so my initial interest in fasting was so I guess, you know, I'm a molecular biologist and at uni I did evolution was one of my, a couple oh. of my subjects. And so I, I sort of always go back to this evolutionary biology mm. thinking, which was I was so impressed to learn that you know, we didn't have to eat food every day. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, in my young 20s, I'm blowing my mind because I've grown up on the three, six meals a day, you know, advice. Um, And I was like, humans don't die after like three days of food. That's crazy. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So for me, it was just like learning about um, hunter gatherers and how, yeah, how the body responds to no food and that it actually, you don't die. You feel bloody amazing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I feel the best I ever feel after three or four or five days fasting. Like I feel mm -hmm. like a million dollars and I'm just so clear and functioning so clearly. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it was just really interesting. Like, I was just really interested in that and like, oh, the idea that food was fuel, I was kind of challenging that because I was like, oh, if I put food in and the body, I can now I've done fasting so much over the years, mm. like I can feel my body slow down when I put food into it. And I sort of, mm. I do a five day, a three to five day fast every 90 days because okay. I, I, over that 90 days, I slowly feel my decline and I'm like, I need, I need to clean out. Um, yep. And so for me, it wasn't necessarily about weight loss. It was just being amazed that the body first performed so well without fuel because I grew up like, oh, you need energy, eat, you know? Um, and so from there, I started thinking about, you know, the cancer patients and the diabetics and, and people like that and realizing that, wow, no wonder people get diagnosed with insert chronic disease at 70 because their gut, the major part of their body from gums to bum has yep. not had a single day off in 70 years. <laughs> um, so that was the way that I came at it was just like our bodies need a breather. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but it's interesting from the, the tiny habits perspective and there's a massive fasting culture that they think more is better and that'll lead to weight loss. But I suppose what we've seen is that, yeah, you know, extended fasting plus keto and just refeed on refined fat um, can potentially lead to, to negative results in long term in, ter in terms of appetite and lean mass and, and a binge restrict psychology. So I think there's definitely a place for the you know, three to five day clean out, cleanse sort of thing, but on a on a mm. regular basis, just finding a balance that leads, like you yeah. said before, to, to a, a more moderate long-term progress. And, yeah, so it's interesting to guide people to find the balance that's right for them on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis versus a, a long-term cleanse. And there's definitely a role for both. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that was, I guess, what I was sharing was my personal journey. And I get every time I do mm. it, I'm on social media sort of being like, ask me any questions. And when yeah. people say, I want to do one, I'm like, okay, we've got to take a year to set you up for it. Because if yeah, we wow. just dive in on day one for a three-day fast, and I've seen so many people try this and message me but saying, this was horrific. You make it look so good. <laughs> like, um, and I potentially I say... Yeah, I perpetually say, do not try this on your own. You have to build the muscle. And that starts with intermittent fasting. But for mm. most people, uh, intermittent fasting, whether it be 20 and 4, whether it be OMAD, whether it be 16, 8, whether it be 12, mm. 12, um, figuring out what works for you. And in the context of weight loss, I agree. I think that would be far better because there is the psychological component to factor in. And if you're taking a diet culture approach of all in on Monday to try and mm. just hack off this weight it's just going to magically disappear and then we're back on yep. friday and yep. with um, the donuts and pizza because you feel yeah. like crap and your totally. <laughs> that, brain kicks in 100 percent. And, and refeeding syndromes a real thing to, to yeah. what degree you experience it is 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 you know varying depending on your situation but you know a lot of people naturally are drawn towards that really high sugar high carb mm. foods um, because in their evolutionary brain the reptilian brain is saying there hasn't been food for a few days mm. and if you haven't trained that response um out of you know out of its natural go-to sort of default mm. then yeah you're going to end up 
feeling horrible at the end of that day. So I think most people and probably everybody watching this is going to benefit likely from focusing on a progressive intermittent fast that slowly moves the needle. Because the other mm. thing is too, the body adapts. So even 16-8, I wouldn't encourage most people to just start at 16-8. I always get people to do a calibration week or two. Where are you at? And then we move the needle 30 to 60 minutes at a time, particularly yeah, for wow. women in relation to their menstrual cycle and um, hormonal profile. Because um, a lot of women that dive in, and this is not something that's commonly spoken about in the fasting or keto community, is a lot of people, if they go in too hard for women, uh, can be victims of amenorrhea, cycle disruption, mm. um, and those types of things due to a lack of carbs or, or, to, or going in too hard to that calorie restriction that ends up happening. Mm. So, there's, yeah, I think progressive is the key. And for women, 30 to 60 minute increments, uh, what I think is best. And, and you change that each week or how do you dial it in yeah. 30 to 60 minutes? So one week you tighten it by 30 minutes and then next week a little bit more. Yeah, yeah basically. And and the reality what that I find for most people is that life happens enough that the fluctuation sort of in and out a little bit happens naturally just because kids and life and all of that mm. kind of stuff. Um, so and And it might even begin with just three days on the first week you know, or two or three days on the first week uh, just to start exercising that muscle. Um, men are a little luckier in the sense they can probably go a little bit harder um, mm. sooner. Um, but, ev but even somebody that was, you know, severely obese, I wouldn't necessarily en encourage any drastic changes due to the body's nature to adapt. Um, and we yeah. don't want to adapt too rapidly because the, the, the longer the adaptation phase, the longer the stability of the result. Mm. Um, and so, so, yeah, so I think progressive is the key. Yeah, if you find at the end of your fasting period you're just binging on really poor choices that you know are poor choices, you probably pushed it a little bit too long and need to Absolutely. moderate and dial back a little bit. So where do you find most people land on a sustainable window that leads to weight loss over the long term without that mm -hmm. rebound? Yeah, I think 16.8 is usually the sweet spot for most people. Between there and 18.6, I think most people find, at least that I work with, find they feel best on two meals a day yep. um, and, and maybe a snack in the middle. And for women in the second uh, fortnight of their or the mm. second half of their cycle, um, their desire for carbohydrates and, mm. and those cravings kind of go up. So they might add a meal in or a snack in through that time to satiate those requirements. But yeah, I think most people feel best on two meals a day. Whether that lands at 16 or 18 is different, but mm. somewhere there I find. What do you find? Yeah, definitely, definitely. You see that um, OMAD is a real struggle for people to get enough nutrients and protein in especially. Yeah. I know some people can sit down to 200 grams of protein one sitting, which is obscene, but it's very, very rare. Most people from in, coming from a keto, uh, you know, extended fasting just getting 50 60 grams of protein a day and if they then go omad they're just not getting enough protein so they're going to let lose lean mass over the long term and then that leads to you know the body says hey i'm i'm dying here my muscles are yeah. fading away i need to do something to recover and get that back so and then they're refeeding on on low protein high fat foods potentially so that's just a, a recipe for rebound weight gain but not muscle yeah. gain because the the protein level is low so yeah that that's definitely a, a key thing i think people in that community really need to be conscious of and just going long enough that you can get your protein in each day and you're you're thinking okay i'm going to go for what i know is a healthy meal with adequate nutrients and protein rather than dreaming of 
those comfort foods that you know aren't good for you, whatever they are. For me, they're like the peanut butter or cream or yogurt or whatever it is, and whether it's donuts or pizza or whatever that is for you, you know, your sort of mm-hmm. kryptonite tri- trigger binge food that's going to lead you to eat more than you ever want to. So, Yeah, well, and as you were talking there, it, it um, triggered a memory of our first conversation. We talked about one of the sleep podcasts that I did um, because that's another factor. And yeah. so a, an important part of getting your nutrition right is getting your sleep right because the one night of uh, six hours or less of sleep and basically mm. every parent's been doing that for like 20 years <laughs> at least, um, your calorie intake increases on average 300 calories the following day because you're physically awake longer but also um, because of the increased function and requirement of function in your body your prefrontal cortex which is the front part of your brain um, that deals with rational and logical thinking reduces significantly reduces function and so it's the difference between being well slept and driving home from work at the end of the day bit tired you smell the you know McDonald's or KFC in the window and you're like oh that's good but I'm not going to stop the next mm. night five and a half hours sleep same situation you're like i'm in let's go um and that's <laughs> that's literally what happens so when we're talking about um refeeding on foods that aren't necessarily ideal or or you know working on an intermittent fasting schedule if we're just focusing on the nutrition piece and then beating ourselves up for not lasting long enough without looking at where the willpower comes from and we recharge mm. willpower while we're asleep um and mm. so we have to factor that in as well because it's a it's a really important piece of the puzzle. And and when people beat themselves up for not losing weight or or whatever it might be, uh, sleep can be the thing. And and a lot yeah. of people that are doing all the right things, this is the variable because they might be getting up at five a.m. now to go and smash themselves with a PT five mornings a week. Um, they're eating rabbit food all day, so they're not getting enough calories in, and they're like. I'm doing all the right things according to everything that was told to me in the 80s, 90s, 70s, early 2000s, and nothing is changing. And it could be that sleep is the variable because you're more likely to burn muscle mass as your protein source when you Mm. are underslept as well. Yeah, and your body's just craving that fast hit energy because you feel sluggish, you're tired, you need a boost, you need caffeine, you you need sugar, you need fat. Fat and sugar together is even better and you're... yeah buy it up again and you can do what you need to do you can think clearly and but if you keep doing that perpetually you're in trouble so um you know what does maddie's routine look like and and how do you advise your clients to dial in the routine what are the key things they need to think of to progressively dial in to uh to get a more optimized routine that enables them not to always be dopamine addicted and always on that Mm -hmm. that cycle that that uh perpetual rabbit uh, the little mouse wheel of uh going round and round and round continually always being you know i need to get up i need to check my social media i need more caffeine i need to go to the gym and and you just burn out to the point that you can't yeah. look after your health and your willpower depletes and you can't give your body what it actually needs yeah, so I guess my routine, so basically I don't have my phone in my room, so my phone is turned off at night, goes into the cupboard, uh, kitchen cupboard, like it's out of sight, out of mind, wow. same rule with food, like I literally put it, I sort of throw it to the back of the top cupboard so that it's <laughs> just, I got to get the ladder to get it in the morning. You know um, how addicted you are to the phone. That's <laughs> Totally. Well, and this this is the challenge you were talking about before we hit record, but like yeah. we both have, uh, you know, help people via social media yeah. um, I, with I, our... I've, I've got an online avatar that is, you know, larger than life <laughs> and I've got to try and keep it up somehow. 
<laughs> right. So for me, so I get up in the morning um, using um, a wake up light. So um, I'm I, I'm trying to avoid that you know initial adrenaline hit um, from the scary alarm that's like boo. You know, yep. so um, it, it slowly lights up the room, and at the same time, the music is like kind of you know meditation music that slowly cool. ascends and then i wake up and i'm like oh this is nice oh, what a beautiful day <laughs> um and then from there i get into a you don't have I children go, do you no this is this is the difference <laughs> i don't have kids <laughs> so my routine is pretty schmick compared to people that have kids <laughs> but yeah from there i go into a breathwork session um and yeah do all sorts of different pranayama breath work so i'm sort of really cool. big on breath work um as and you can use that to hack dopamine as well um there's lots of ways you can use that to make yourself feel amazing so i do that then i kind of go into just reviewing my goals and vision board and and stuff for the morning um mm-hmm. and then i have an eight till eleven work increment um, and that might be clients or might be whatever it is um, and then 11 to 12 is my workout and then I break the fast between 12 and 12 30 most days so yeah. um, so that's me and then of, a, of an evening um, I I try and read a real physical book I'm, I'm mm. done with screens by the end of the day so much artificial blue light has gone into my ocular mm. cavity that I'm like I'm done so yeah I really try and read fiction at night um, so that I can just disconnect and go into another world kind of thing. So and turn the phone off before I do that as well. So and that's before bed. And, and before bed, all the lights in my apartment are red. Uh, this the screen on my phone has multiple red filters. I've got my got my blue blockers that I wear as cool. well. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, that's my routine. <laughs> nice, my cra- crazy old ones, but they, they work and everything is on efflux and I've got these lights that yeah, turn nice. red in the morning when I wake up. But uh, yeah, definitely lots of amazing hacks from you've added those progressively, I suppose, mm-hmm. and you can just add one at a time or, you know, get as much as you need out of one and then come back. And I've done the, the breathing and heart rate variability and lately I've been coming back to that again just for the guided breathing there's so many good exercises mm. you can use and heart rate variability to try and just take your brain out of that fight or flight and just give it the calm it needs to switch totally. off and actually get the rest and chill out and definitely reading at night hard copy book if you can kindle's great but um yeah get old hard copy book and just chilling out with the wife and switching off and yeah. saying this is my time and i don't need to keep up with the big world out there that's that's infinite and it's designed to keep you perpetually addicted so that's that's how mark zuckerberg makes his money from keeping you (laughs) perpetually enthralled with online media i think once you draw the distinction and it took me a little while but like the difference between the online world and material reality and you're Mm. like the point of existing as a human is to be in the physical world and irrelevant mm. of how spiritual you are this is this is our physical mm. chapter you know this is the the physical Love manifestation it. of who we are and so for me it was like really distinguishing like the screens all the screens are portals to a world that doesn't exist and so for me for me it's in my head to rationalize and disconnect Love it's it. like no the human that is I'm hanging out with tonight they deserve my attention and mm. time you know, and so that for me, it was about that and the human connection and, and emotional connection you have with physically experiencing people um, mm. or even your own alone time. Like um, mm. I think doing little tasks without your phone. So one of my breaks during the day is I take the basketball and go and shoot some hoops, but I always leave the phone at home, like mm. just to have some experience in reality. But it's the same 
It's the same with the small tweaks. And I always call it one tweak a week. So mm. you should, you know, don't turn the phone off for three days because that won't solve much. Start with just, I'll do it once. You know, I'll just go for a, a walk around the block without the phone and see how I go. Because most people are scared of their own thoughts, as I was yeah. uh, in the beginning, and scared of being alone with themselves. And, and that's another piece of the self-respect puzzle is, um, you know, learning to be okay with who you are and the thoughts you have and the world that you've built. Um, and it's not until you accept what it currently exists that you then have the power to make manif- make and manifest change in the future. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, I think it's also really powerful to actually get out and do something with your body in the real world, mm-hmm. playing basketball, lifting weights, going for a walk, going for yeah. get, getting out in the sun, making something physical. And I was mentioning Cal Newport, who I'm diving in at the moment, wrote deep work and has got um, you know a world without email and digital minimalism as a book I just finished reading and he's all about you know people who are able to retire early and you know do what they want to do because they've got financial security and have learned not to be materialistic are able to they go create something in the real world they repair motorcycles Mm -hmm. they they chop wood or they do physical hobbies that actually give them a deeper satisfaction and this sort of dopamine addicted you know it's triggering that you know same porn rewards cycle that just you know there's no getting off it um so yeah definitely getting out there in the real world how do you create time to create things for the future i suppose you've got that work time you say this is my block where i'm with clients and i'm creating things and yeah interested to hear your thoughts on that yeah it's the old like am i working on my life or in my life or you know Mm. on the business or in the business and you've got thing, to differentiate yeah. the two and say this is when mm. I'm working in the business and this is when I'm stepping back and working on the business yeah. and, and developing things for the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's the same in, you know, in the, the personal life. And I think, you know, when you get comfortable in relationships, for instance, it can be really easy to be like, not tonight, honey, I got to got to hustle. But like that is working <sighs> on the relationship by not, you know, when you say no to that, you're not working on that thing. And so it's it's a balancing, right? And whether you're mm. a parent or you're in a relationship or whatever it is, all the all the moving parts of your life, you know, you're either working in them or on them and both are relevant to its progress. Mm. And so, um, yeah, no, you know, it's a, it's a constantly moving target but behind what's going on and what's important and what takes the top priority. And and it's a really triggering and confusing time to be a human right now yeah. for so many reasons. Um, and so, that you know, there's that added pressure at the minute as well. But I think, you know, no, you mentioned it in the beginning, but knowing your why, like mm. for everything that you do um, and like why am I in a relationship, why this person, you know, why this house, why this suburb, Mm. Uh, because if you can't answer that, you might be living a life that you don't want to live. <laughs> yeah. You're wasting a lot of time living a life you don't want to live. And you yeah. step back and go, what have I achieved? What's significant here? This totally. has been a really good uh, good therapy session, Maddie. Thank you very much. <laughs> How much do I pay? <laughs> <laughs> That's often what ends up happening. <laughs> so That's great. So um moving forward what are you excited about for the future what's 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 in maddie lansdowne world what are you working on in your business in your life to to develop for the future yeah so i guess i'm I'm sort of doing a bit of a a shift uh so i've discovered after working with people for the last few years that about 90 percent of people that are naturally gravitate towards me are usually mums uh or women that are mothers or professional younger professional women and so i'm sort of focusing on 
on more on women and particularly mothers moving forward. Um, and, I, and I think the thing that inspires me about that is that um, a lot of the mums that I talk to um, want to be a good role model. And they, I often hear the words, I feel like a fraud when I tell my kids to eat better. Um, mm. And so I think if we can work with mums, not just mums, but also dads, but mums and whoever the food provider in the family is, the, the, the cook, the chef, the, the, the person that puts the stuff on the plate mm. to figure out nutrition, um, then we've got much more hope for the future because we're in a situation yeah. where the current generation are not are going to be the first generation that we've got um, that don't live as long as their parents. And that's a result of nutrition, stress, lack of self-respect, trauma, mm. whatever it is. You know, it's heaps of things. But I think one of the biggest pieces is the food. Um, so mm. I think I think the take-home message that I've realized for the parents is that your children become you. There's the odd black sheep, but your children become you. And so if you don't prioritize yourself, if you don't ever set a boundary, like mum's, you know, mum guilt's a real thing. Um, and, you know, dad guilt is too for not looking after the kids, not doing the thing. But a lot of mums never, ever put themselves first. Um, and so they end up sick, overweight, tired, burnt out. And then their child's just going to grow up and do the exact same thing because they've learned that's how I should treat myself because yeah. that's how my parents treated their self. And so yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, that's the thing I'm excited about working with parents for. I think we can make a generational shift in the way that um, humans look at themselves and treat themselves and fuel themselves if we can work with our mums and our dads to to be the leaders in that space. Yeah, I love it. That's so important. And, and parenting is just caught, not taught. It doesn't really matter what you say. Yeah. The, the example you set, you just see the kids mimicking everything you do. Not only are they yeah. genetically the mirror, you know, that they, they are you and you see so much in them, but they just copy everything you do and, you know, whether it's good or bad. And, yeah, and um, in terms of filling the, the house with good food, I think I mentioned I talked to, um, David Robenheimer on Wednesday and, and the takeaway point that he said after all his research and probably one of the, the greatest nutrition researchers and uh, you know, a, a guru in evolutionary biology just said uh, shop with your brain and then when you get at home eat with your appetite and I think that was really wise words that to uh, know mm -hmm. what you need to buy bring it home fill your environment with amazing food that is, you know is going to be good for you there's not a lot of Skittles or brightly coloured crap that you're going to default to. Yeah. And then just follow your appetite and uh, eat the good food when you need it. And um, uh, Stephen Simpson said, you know, if I bring the, the crap home, I'll eat it. You know, the you know, leader yep. <laughs> of Obesity Australia said, I can't resist that food if it's in my house. I went, wow, that's so powerful. And even he can't override his um, lizard brain with his dopamine hits. So, yeah, it's really... yeah. Why should we, if if the smartest people around can't do it themselves? So, um, Absolutely. where do people where do people find more of Maddie Lansdowne? This has been a whole lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've got a podcast, as you mentioned at the start, called How to Not Get Sick and Die. Um, so, you can check that out on any and all platforms. Um, I've got a, two Facebook groups. I've got Intermittent Fasting for Optimal Health and then uh, Busy uh, sort of um, busy Mums group. So, if you're a busy mother, uh, you can join that group. Otherwise, you know, Instagram's the place as well. Cool, cool. Yeah, uh, from after 12 o'clock in the day by the sounds of it. <laughs> I will catch up with you or my VA will respond. <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you so much, Maddie. It's been great to chat and we'll, uh, Thanks we'll so talk much, again Martin. soon. Thanks. See you, bye. mate.
See ya. Bye. Bye.